for coming. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm glad you, you're here. Um, there are a bunch of things that we want to talk about, I guess, uh, whether it be in the space. Uh, but since you are a lawyer, I kind of did want to see. Yeah. Yeah, more. I'm here to talk about law, right. of course. Yeah. Uh, I was just curious. Uh, what got you interested in cryptocurrencies and like Web3 and how why tie it into law, to your practice? Well, for me, it's curiosity driven. And so I started in, I, I, I graduated law school like nine years ago, not to like age myself too hard, but I've been practicing for nine years. I did tax law when I first got out and then I moved to South Florida and did environmental law. So I was doing like Everglades restoration, wow. but the tone had changed because a new, you know, governor got in charge and we went from being kind of a pro ag state to having a very hostile vibe towards ag in this state because the governor ran uh not on anti-ag policy but he definitely didn't accept money from ag when he was running oh. so his policies kind of changed what's that agriculture oh, okay so his policies kind of changed which made it really difficult for me to enjoy what i was doing because i was i was working with farmers and as a farmer that was fulfilling this need of mine to honor where I came from and, you know, credit what all the work I had done to become a lawyer and environmental law, working in the Everglades with the farmers felt like, you know, a really merry, a happy marriage, right? But then we, our position kind of changed, things became difficult. So it became a pretty disenfranchised about what I was doing. And we just had a lot of free time on our hands too mm -hmm. with, with the pandemic. And being in South Florida, there's all these crypto meetups. So I just kind of started aping into a bunch of random meetups here in South Florida where you'd see a founder of a company like Rarible speaking at like the lab or WeWork or Minds Cowork, these like great small spots. And you could just go talk to them. Like they were just available. Okay, yeah. yeah, and they were happy to talk about what they were doing. And then everybody else in the room was just entirely enthusiastic about what they were doing too, which made it really fun. And it gave me like a breath of fresh air because I just felt like professionally I was kind of being uh, really dissatisfied with what I was doing. And so this curiosity got fed and, uh, and then people would ask you at these meetings, well, what do you do? And I was just like, well, I, you know, this is kind of new to me. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, a pro in this. I'm just a lawyer. And they'd be like, oh, shit, you know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, I do. And so then they'd, they'd ask, can you, you know, can you read my white paper? Can you help me? Can you help me draft this thing? Can you look over this? And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to be involved. Yeah, and then it just kind of s snowballed from there. And um, I got asked to speak at some events. And then... Um, I, we launched, I, I met up with Michelle Abs and uh, was part of that like founding team that helped launch the NFT for women's equity with Mayor Suarez. Okay. And then my law firm found me and it just became this, this thing of a bunch of great circumstances coming together. My network got built kind of overnight and I just loved it. I was getting so much fulfillment out of it and it was easy to want to learn more, dive in and help these founders do what they were doing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually kind of got into crypto kind of the same way, uh, going to the local meetups, uh, whether it be, there was like one by uh, Tech Beach Miami uh, in Lincoln Road, uh, the lab, and just a bunch. Yeah. Of, there's a bunch of group chats that you could find with a bunch of like people active in the community, just ready to like. And I feel like there's just something every night for someone, oh, even the, with the general Miami Tech crew with Adamo and Natalia hosting every other week, basically this huge mm. tech meetup. That's, that's a gem. Like you don't see that always. And the fact that they've been so consistent about it very consistent. and people that attend are like high quality people for the most part, because everyone's really building and needing builders and, and connecting and just having that consistent meetup is powerful in a community that is driven by, especially during the pandemic when everyone was just desperate for interactions with people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like you said, there's like a, a big need for builders and like developers out there. Just having a, a location and like 
an active community super super important oh for sure and, for sure and the breath like the fresher breath air that you said with like the interaction with people in the space especially with something so new and unique it's yeah like, oh this is exciting like there's there's stuff going on there's people uh taking on projects that you wouldn't have seen before like yeah people are fearless in this space and like the most nightmarish way for me is a a person that's supposed to help you navigate regulatory stuff oh, yeah. but in a beautiful and brilliant way in terms of like they just want to build stuff that's going to change the world and they they don't just think about it and like try to make stuff they really believe in what they're doing the level of like conviction of these people that are building and believe in what they're building is just not met in another industry right now there's also like a lot of energy and like uh, like precision with it like i feel like um a lot of thought goes into like all the projects going it like that, that, that people are doing and it's just cool um, yeah yeah uh, for sure for sure what's up oh you you mentioned your first uh speaking event how was that okay so my first speaking event in crypto couldn't have been like higher stakes because i i hadn't really spe- spoken publicly in a while i mean i've i've done some trials um like administrative trials but I hadn't like spoken and just in front of a crowd of people, I would say in, since like undergrad presenting something. So it had been like over a decade. And the first true public speaking event I, I did was at NFT Miami um, when it was last year. Last so it was like, like 7,000 people tuning in or there. And it was it was aggressive i was it was me who had just joined this like boutique blockchain firm international blockchain legal and then it was next i was sitting next to like a peabody award-winning journalist was our moderator a partner for the blockchain division of greenberg Torig. like he has he's on the 42nd floor of the vanderbilt building next to grand central station in manhattan i mean stunning office legendary guy and then uh, another attorney who was at this like international firm in Israel doing blockchain stuff. And so it was like all these really professional dudes who are like award winning and yeah. kind of legendary. And then like, and then me who was like entering this space saying like, I'm here and I know my stuff. And like, you know, I'm, I'm also, you know, hireable. <laughs> We're all out there kind of, you know, hawking our firms, right? Like that's the whole point of these speeches is to build your credibility and like let people know what you do in this space and how you can help them. And so I had to go out there on that like huge stage in front of everybody <laughs> with this sort of like legendary kind of lineup of people (laughs) and hold my own i mean i think i did there's i haven't i haven't haven't ever reviewed my footage of that (laughs) that panel but i do think i held my own there was some good feedback on like twitter because i know one of the panelists live his company like live streamed it so there was some comments like the girl in the red dress because i made sure to look really feminine up there too Mm -hmm. especially in such a male dominated field i always try to look like today i knew it was like two dudes and you guys tend to wear more muted colors in your Very in your so. podcast and so i was like you know what it's when you can lean into it it's not bad to like of course <laughs> just lean into like a really bright color and stand out in whatever way you can i did that on a panel last week uh the icp community held their first like in-person conference at the hard rock here uh pretty close to where we are yeah. and that was kind of awesome a because the icp community is I love those guys. They're true builders. What what the Internet Computer Protocol is doing is just interesting. It's a different kind of layer one. Um, so I loved the conference, but then I was the only female speaker for the entire two days. Oh, wow. And then there wasn't that many women because it was a very small. It was their inaugural conference. It's like less than 200 people. Um, and, but there was definitely like just you could see the women like, yeah. it was like oh you're there and, and you're there. there and then there's me you can count them <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> gotcha. it was obvious like there was very few women and so i just wore a bright blue dress it's like I'm, i i brought a couple but that morning i was like yeah this is like if you're gonna stand out just just commit to it yeah. right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no it's true the, the the industry does need more women in the space like i remember going to the bitcoin conference in 2021 and the line for the men's bathroom was super long and there was no line for the women's bathroom. Yeah, which is usually and never, the case. never the case. It's always <laughs> like, oh, the opposite. It's yeah. the opposite. So I'm like, okay, I, this this uh, speaks to, to the crowd. Like, yeah. Like, the crowd's like, and it's like you said, uh, it's always good to like, lean into it and like just make sure there's presence. 
For sure. It's getting more balanced. Mm-hmm. There's not like hostility. There's just like, I feel like it's more ignorance. There's not, there's not a lot of hostility towards women. Although I feel like women get questioned a little bit more like, oh, do you actually know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if I, I hardly ever try and say what I do. I'm just like, oh, I'm an attorney. And then if you really press me, I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a blockchain attorney. And then if someone's in the space, they're like, well, let me let me quiz you now to make sure I can trust you. And I feel like there's yeah, I mean, not that level of distrust. Of yeah, <laughs> it's not like most most people shouldn't have to prove they're in this space. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get there's like a level of distrust because there's a lot of shilling and stuff. But mm-hmm. especially if I'm not trying to be the expert in the room, sure. if I'm just attending an event, it should be just assumed we're all at the same level. We're all here, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> It's kind of like the energy that I try to put off. It's like, okay, I know nothing. I'm just trying to hear, learn, yeah. see who see who knows more than me or knows something that I don't know. Exactly. And then if I could contribute to the conversation and add something, I, I'm will. happy to. Yeah, yeah to. I'm happy to. Yeah, that's kind of part of the reason why we go to the conferences and the meetups and uh, why we want to start this podcast. So we could have conversations with people like you who are like just interested in the field. Yeah, yeah. It's an exciting field. Happy, happy to be part of it. So I will interrupt. I don't think we ever introduced who we had, though. Oh, you're right. We just started. We got you, you, you got excited and you just jumped in. <laughs> um, like, we never said who it was. That's okay. It's good to hide the ball. Make him interested. Make him interested. <laughs> Make him what interested. We have to say. Like, like, Everyone's like, who is this? <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, so, how do you go by? like? Uh, I go by LC because LC. there's always, A, another Laura in the room. And in, in English, American English, Laura is just not a pretty name. If I'm in a, a Latin American country or a Spanish speaking country, I'm like, I'm Laura. Uh-huh. And I have no problem because saying LSA is like, mm-hmm. people are like, look, why are you trying? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just say I'm Laura if I'm in like uh, a Spanish speaking country. But otherwise, I am, I am just LC unless I'm back on the farm. And then my family did name me Laura. Okay. But I go by LC for the most part. I've always kind of gone by LC in my professional career. Because A, there's kind of always another Laura around. It's not that unique of a name. And B, uh, I worked in a pretty male-dominated field. Like tax law is also pretty male-dominated and conservative. So if I sign, you know, a demand letter, Laura, it doesn't quite receive the same respect as like LC, which is like an AJ or like a, you know, you don't really know. Yeah, until you meet me and then you're like, you've already lost because I already, we we hashed what we needed to hash out in writing. Yeah, Yeah, too late. Too late to negotiate now. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you for bringing that up. I completely. We just got into it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm LC. I'm with International Blockchain Legal. I am a blockchain attorney, and I can be found on anything with the username under Learned Chaos. So I've like leaned into the LC of it all. It will be in the descriptions at yeah. the bottoms everywhere. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so you said you go to like uh, conferences, and your first one was NFT Miami. NFT Miami last year last was year. my first like major conference event. I went. Well, I went to in twenty. 21, I went to a couple conferences in Miami, but they were like the Crypto Expo, which was, I feel like, not as well attended because everyone was at Solana and Lisbon that, like, at that we same at time in, Liz- in 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the Miami Crypto Expo was just kind of more winding down, but it also was a really great event because it was classrooms. It was a conference where it wasn't big panels. It was class. You were literally in the classrooms at the James L. Knight Center talking to like whatever company about the game that they're launching. And and, like he would get on the computer, put it on the screen and like walk you through it. And if you had your laptop with you, you could do it right there, too. So that was actually a really I feel like value add conference because there was one guy in another room doing like he pulled up Uniswap and you could have like done your first trades. And in a space like this where there's so many barriers to entry, having that hands on classroom setting is valuable super important like it really is the whole like interaction of it like scares people off yeah very easily because you don't want to click wrong yeah you You don't don't want to you'll just lose stuff and so easy to click wrong yeah it kind of it kind of is (laughs) (laughs) the digital assets that we're we're dealing with so like people have like this like oh this is worth something and you definitely don't want to lose it yeah or make a mistake and you don't want to connect to like everyone's terrible like i i'm very skeptical about connecting my wallet to stuff unless i'm Mm -hmm. very comfortable with the website i'm on like i'm just perpetually afraid of like losing all my nfts because i click on something so then i tend to just be a filthy casual with all these things that i'm involved in and not actually going to the websites doing the things i just talk about them like academically Mm -hmm as though I do do them because I could 
But you're like, I'd rather not. The burden of doing it is just not. And the the action of doing it, the value isn't really there for me yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah, you do, you do what you do in this space, but until the value is like really added on, it's hard for me to be like, let me add this to my daily life of like going on this exchange and like doing this trade in like a burdensome way, you know? Yeah, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. There's no the implications aren't there yet on yeah. a d- to daily use. Not not for everything at least. Well, I was having where for NFT NYC. I was in New York with a bunch of friends, and it's it's weird because I was in a, a table with everyone that's involved heavily in crypto. Like these are some well known people. Um, at least like you know they're they're developers in the space, or they're like part of they were part of like Empire DAO, or they you know did stuff significantly in the space. Mm-hmm. And one person posed a question to the group, like, what decentralized apps do you actually have on your phone and use besides MetaMask or besides a wallet, you know? Mm-hmm. And none of us could really answer because none of us really yeah. use the stuff yeah. daily. It's no. just other than a wallet, what am I really using daily in this space? Now, one of the one of the attendees did have of the lens protocol and orb and like the social media aspect of it like arguably i have farcaster but i use twitter still like far more than farcaster it's like a decentralized twitter Twitter. but it's still invite only so it's like you know it's like who who why you know i'm not using it that much although apparently maybe um vitalik tweets more for or casts more more. on farcaster than he does on twitter because it's more decentralized i don't know allegedly Mm -hmm. so it's like is there a use case for that over i mean i I will gladly use that also but is that going to be my go-to thing just yet or any of these other apps what are we and and besides a social app you know all these things that are being built on blockchain, but we're not even us if we're not using them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not. We're not helping the problem. <laughs> we're, just here like, uh. we're just here hanging out, like waiting for one of them to catch. Uh-huh. I guess if you're a gamer, I feel like gamers use oh, a lot more. Like Gamings are games make more sense. It should be like the the first one. Like Gaming is a really it, solid full, entry point. I feel like yeah, absolutely with the whole NFT aspect. But even then, you're like, do I really want to leave this connected? What your you wallet well you, you yeah have to, to, well, to, to or the game, the game you is could easily like have a, a wallet associated to that one game yeah true. yeah that could also be true. the way and to do it and then just send it out to, to another wallet if you want to hold it in like cold storage for yeah. sure yeah I yeah. mean uh, it's like you said if we're not using it the people in the space aren't like, where where's the development going to be yeah yeah so until there's like a compel- but honestly I'm not I'm the worst person to ask because I don't use like I have like 10 apps I use mm-hmm. that's a generous number yeah. too I I use email I use texting um and then I have like Instagram and Twitter and that's like those are really all I'm clicking on my phone yeah. for yeah. I, I don't want to be on my phone that's yeah. most people you know most yeah. people just have a rotation yeah. or like check one and go to the other boom 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 keep yeah moving. and it's like I don't need any uh, and I need a compelling reason to use that I mean decentralized like messaging so like getting rid of like uh, email like gmail particularly yeah gmail i mean gmail runs like the world privacy yeah yeah well i use because i have a lot of clients that are very sensitive about encryption and data mm-hmm. especially as the lawyer for them so i have proton mail okay because, and that yeah. makes them feel a little bit more comfortable but i even had one client who was like i want to send this to you in an encrypted way and i was like i don't know what else i can do other than like attach it to proton yeah. But it wasn't good enough. He had to send me this like whole link and I had to go through this other process because he was just very, some people in this space take their privacy and security, which I I don't fault, but Mm -hmm. you've got to bring me, he had to give me a tutorial. I was like, look, I thought I was good with ProtonMail. (laughs) Well, not not like this. Yeah. Like this is like, I'm using a VPN and ProtonMail. What, what more do you want from me? That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. People in this space can be so fun. Even at the Bitcoin conference, we were walking around and you had to have the bracelet or the lanyard and this guy got stopped because he didn't have a bracelet on and he was like no i have the qr code and they were and the the people that were working it were like that's that's you know take that to the front that's where mm-hmm. you use it to get the bracelet and he was like this is bullshit like i'm not a child i don't need to walk around with this like bracelet yeah. and it's like me and the, my associate that i was walking with we were both like well we know why he likes bitcoin <laughs> like it's the the level of independence that yeah. some people assert in this decentralized world is so extreme but you'll always have like extreme people using tech for those reasons yeah i know uh sometimes i go to conferences they give you a name tag like, like 
Yeah, and people are like, that's too, I uh, I want to use like my, my moniker or, I mean, there was one guy at the Bitcoin conference who had the mask and the hat and the glasses. Oh, really? Yeah, and he was a speaker. Okay. He was like, I will not be identified other than my moniker. Can why speak? Well, because well, he was pretty legendary in the space, yeah. to my understanding. And But then I wonder, like, at what point does he think that tech isn't going to be just as identifiable on your voice like he didn't use a voice modulator yeah. he's just protecting his facial caught. his facial recognition mm -hmm. stuff yeah. so for that person if you're taking care to do one thing you're right you're speaking like at what point will tech be good enough to identify you as well as a fingerprint based on your stride yeah, body that's, composition that's exactly voice you know voice yeah. he wasn't using a voice modulator not just that but like at that, at that point don't be a speaker yeah, if you exactly. want the, if you want, if you the want a anon true anonymity, exactly. Or oh, but see, but that's you also exactly. Yeah, that there too. was there was one conference I was at where the speaker attended. I think it was permissionless last year, which is a very impressive conference to be asked to speak at. And this speaker attended via his NFT and yeah. video link. So all you saw was his video link, and then his voice came through. But his voice did sound like a normal voice. It wasn't a modulated voice. So I always just wonder. If, if I cared about anonymity that much, I wouldn't want my voice yeah. to be um, out there either, just as much as anything else. I just think, uh, at least when it comes to security, there's like layers to it. So the more, yeah. things, the more things you add on to make it harder to track you, then there's just less incentive for someone to track you or like yeah. check out what's going on. So not showing up, uh, uh, having some type of facial uh, cover coverage, um, Will help it make it harder for them to, to get tracked but yeah the, the voice thing once you record someone's voice and try to see yeah and compare need, it it's you need, like you need to compare it to a bunch of, how many files you got to compare it to yeah i guess so there's not a database yeah, for exactly. voices as much although or that's it, arguable because we're well, in a very yeah, tech especially in crypto if you've been on a twitter space mm -hmm. you know there's audio somewhere yeah. yeah and and people seem to be like I mean, if if our phones are recording everything, I feel like there's just as much, if not more, like voice. I mean, yeah, Siri's files. Always, Siri's always listening, right? Always then, waiting. then my face file because you know this is always recording, and so to the extent I'm speaking, this is always kind of capturing that. Yep, exactly. So someone's might be. Someone's got it. Well, there's an interesting case when Amazon came out with the Home System. What's that called? Yeah, Alexa. Alexa, Alexa listened to a murder. What? Alexa what? heard a murder I, in like the it was like the upper Pacific Northwest area. Alexa heard a murder and the trial happened and they were trying to get that evidence admitted. But Amazon was fighting it because they didn't want it. Like my understanding, I didn't dive into this case, but Amazon was fighting it because they didn't want to uh, reveal how much They're Alexa's really into. listening. And also they didn't want to be compelled to be. Now, if if you can compel Amazon in that case, I can compel Amazon in any case, like a child, um, a child custody arrangement. Like, what's my what's my yeah. ex doing at home? You know, under these circumstances. So Amazon had a fight to keep that out. But as a prosecutor, I want that in because, like, it heard the murder, right? Like, that's true evidence for this. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember how it resolved. I just remember the controversy of it. That's it's like the Apple one too. Yeah, all if all this stuff is listening, then all this stuff could be admissible in some way to either help or hurt whatever I'm working towards in a distribute situation. Yeah, Th that's like a well. Part of the trial is that when you're trying to see what evidence you can use. Oh, it can be in discovery, uh, but if it comes if it comes to the point where a judge has to decide, that's usually during during the actual trial whether evidence is admissible or not, and that comes down to like your ability to verify it to say like this was recorded by this person at this time and if you just have this vague uh you know big brother watching how do you admit that unless you have someone from amazon coming in and be like yep our computer our server has this stored as of this date under this i you know uh, number this and tech number yeah. whatever phone or that item matters. it was yeah so uh, it can be kind of difficult to like admit that in terms of v verifying where it was where it was created, yeah. unless you have the you know Amazon actively agreeing to participate. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. Amazon's not participating. Yeah, it's really like difficult. <laughs> they don't want the legal headache. Yeah, they don't. Because like, then yeah. think about if they do that, then they could get pulled into just like any dispute that they allegedly overheard. I don't know. That's 
seems like a whole thing that I'm, I'm sure someone this is where tech it's like tech evolves and like that's so cool that i can ask alexa to play a song for me but the the impact is now alexa's listening all the time yeah and people are like okay either that either makes you feel uncomfortable or that makes you feel cool you're fine with it but either way that has greater implications than you even know until these things arise and you and we're still figuring out the other implications that are coming and this is no different with blockchain yeah that's it's exactly like what I was gonna tie it when we right get now. into like a, a a transparent ledger of veracity of ownership now that's cool when i want to prove that i own this car this house or this this picture but what's another implication of that we have yet we are at like the tip of the iceberg for where this tech can go and all the sticky wickets it can bring us yeah, absolutely. you know yeah i was actually glad you brought that up because with uh, trans with uh, the blockchain being on a ledger trans like open source and anyone can see the transactions and it's, the history is just constant like yeah so this is why banks are like hesitant to get into this space because yeah. like think about a, a huge bank like chase jp morgan who's transacting tens of billions of dollars every single day the u.s has a statute on its record on its books that say like uh you know you can't send money to north korea is Chase so arrogant to think that like, and none of that ten billion is landing in the hands of someone that the U.S. government would call treasonous? No, but they have ways to like I lose it in their documents to like allow their certifications to remain and be in good standing with the U.S. government. Enter a transact like a transparent ledger that anyone can see at any time. Like that is really exposing. And as a bank, I would I would fight that tooth and nail to be forced to use this. You know makes your business model a little bit more like yeah fiat that's why people always wonder like fiat versus crypto fiat's not going anywhere too many too many people are invested to to say you know fiat matters and fiat matters because of that like i need to always have some physical manifestation or or government backed because as long as a jurisdiction exists as long as geopolitical um differences exist and geopolitical lines exist Fiat will always matter because that co that country matters. And that country saying my money is different than your money and there's a valuation to it. So unless every country agrees to just back down and say we all work on one currency, that's just not that's not a feasible future, right? So as long as countries exist, fiat will exist in some form and that's fine because crypto's also not going anywhere. So wouldn't that move towards like <clears throat> how countries are moving towards like CBDCs? That's fine as long because it's still a government backed. Yeah. Like a CBDC is no different than like my credit card transaction saying this is the U.S. dollar, you know, for for purchasing this. If people were mad about you know CBDCs because now the government has some electronic form of money. That's really dumb because they've had an electronic form of money. <laughs> yeah, it's always been electric. like their printing machine has been a digital printing machine yeah. for a while now. You should have you should have fought this back when we went to the credit card. That was the battle you lost decades ago. So like, get on board now. It's like, what's the difference between having it on a on a blockchain versus like a digital record that has no chance of transparency? I think their argument is um, the ability to stop you from transacting and knowing exactly. How can <clears> they not stop me from transacting So, like, their, now? Ex their example would, uh, that I've heard use is um, if we've talked about credits before, how if you <clears throat> ESG scores and stuff like that can implement, can, can affect it. So, if a company or you have uh, X amount of meat you can buy at the store, you have 10 pounds of meat a, a week. If you meet, if you're exceeded or at that ten pounds of meat, you can no longer buy. So you're you're stopped. You're not allowed. That's to if we if CBDCs exist. Yeah. In lieu of cash. Yeah. That's yeah. Like <coughs> cash. Well, like, if CBD CBDs can exist, just like crypto can exist, and cash can exist, and and electronic funds can still exist. We have all three now. Does that mean that one just has to disappear? I don't think so, and I don't think it will. People, look, you have to remember that this country has to move at the slowest pace, the lowest common denominator. So whatever the highest tech people are doing in New York, California, and Miami has to, if you're trying to get mm -hmm. it mass adopted, right, where it's like everyone has to do it, that also has to apply to that, that guy in the hills of Appalachia who's still running off of like, Maybe not electricity. Maybe he's got, you know, just like a, a really low-key setup and living a perfectly fine, legitimate life, and he just doesn't have 
that level of tech adopted. Mm-hmm. Do you think he is using CBDCs anytime soon or anything but cash? No. No. And no, and there there won't be a system. I mean, at least in my lifetime, I doubt that cash just disappears because of those kinds of things. You have to you have to get the lowest common denominator up. And we have yet to find a lowest common denominator to adopt exclusively electronic funds. We're still using cash. So many people are still using cash. Wasn't there a time in our history where like Pablo Escobar had more cash in his reserves than the US government did? Yes. Like in actual cash? So even if the US gets rid of the cash, do you think other countries are gonna just not use it? Because we will still have to accept it. It says it on the dollar that it, it is required to be accepted for a debt, you know, like this is ten legal tender in the US. So at least in our lifetimes, I just don't think physical cash is going anywhere, which I don't think it should. I, I think people just like they reserve gold, they reserve cash, they're going to reserve CBDCs, I'm sure, bonds. This is just another form of transacting and engaging in this space, I think, in the world. Yeah. Um, cash, uh, the issue with cash is that from one like a, or with fiat currencies is that in any given moment the the government that's backing that currency could either uh inflate it or disinflate it or just decide to not accept it at all um i believe there's a country in africa right now i don't remember the one um that's like not not accepting um, their own current yeah their own currency like 50 50 like 50 dollar bills whatever the denomination is uh and people are at least at that point Who's going to accept that that bill if the government or the banks aren't going to accept it? That's really fair, but I I suspect people in that country maybe saw that coming and were operating off of another currency to begin with. If the U.S. gets to that point, like that's just like the least of our problems. Mm -hmm. If the U.S. gets to the point where it's like, look, we don't even we as a government don't even trust the U.S. dollar anymore. Mm -hmm. We have gone so far off the rails, and I think as a society, we've got. Some other concerns we're probably battling in that moment. And we're probably grateful for like other things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, or or any other stable coin or any other any other country's coin. Like the pound is usually pretty strong. Great. Long live England for that reason, right? Like people hold reserves of our currency, other currency in cash and in trans uh, electronic funds. So you know, it's just about diversifying. People talk about diversifying their portfolio Super in the stock market. market. Diversify your currency portfolio because if you're not sure who's going to win, and there's a lot of talk about the U.S. losing this, you know, tech race or this the strength of the U.S. dollar. If you are that concerned, diversify. Then there's no. This is 2023. It has never been easier. ever to get your hands on any other currency or to just not be here. Mm-hmm. It's just never been easier. True on both of those, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's it's people are extra scared about the world, but it's like it's never been easier to interact with the world. So people should just, if you don't like it, go leave. Yeah, just like check something else out. Spread spread the joy among multiple currencies if you're that concerned, Mm -hmm. because it's just it's just never been easier. This isn't the '70s where you've got to go to your bank and ask for permission and write and handwrite something out. This is 2023 where we can just click a button. Connect some accounts and make some shit happen. Yep. Absolutely. It's all about diversification. Yeah. If you're really that concerned, just diversify and then wait it out and see what happens. But I mean, if you're if you're that aware to be that concerned, you should probably just calm down and just build something like invest your time in something and trust that that hard work will work out. And if not, then maybe you're just diversified and it works out anyway. Mm, Fair enough. By the way, this is not any sort of financial advice. Yeah, anyone. it's never financial yeah. advice yeah, ne- with me. Or legal right it's now. It's never legal advice. It's just, it's just a good gonna, conversation. Yeah, yeah, just in case. Yeah, yeah. Don't get ideas, guys. Um, I think uh, at some point we were probably talking about like DAOs and uh, all the headaches that oh, we're yeah. going through. Uh, so I would say, you know, NFTs were a headache of their own kind because of all the IP. And the fact that it was kind of a new a new excitement in the nft space and they just skyrocketed so you saw a lot of things that people promised that maybe they didn't fulfill so it's like is there um, recourse there if i signed up for an nft project that they didn't come through for me 
That's similar to like when you crowdfunded something like back when um, the what ICO was the, No, when you crowdfund like on Kickstarter, when oh. you kickstarted something and you did pay money, like did your money always get refunded if the project didn't go through? Like I remember I helped fund this book. I never received that book. Like it didn't it didn't happen. Did anyone sue over that? I, I doubt it. We paid like 10 bucks to see that, to like help this guy make a book, you know? And so I think NFTs are kind of approached similarly, unless you dropped a lot and were promised a lot, we're not gonna see a lot of lawsuits just yet over, oh, this NFT promised me this. I mean, the, the Fly Fish Club is an example because that's a whole restaurant membership that um, they're doing, but that's, in the works so as long as i guess it's in the works people seem to be happy um because they did sell out so allegedly that'll that'll come through and be a private membership club to a restaurant um when it when it does get built but the problem there is like then uh now you're in the securities world if you're promising something that's not quite built yet the whole concept of securities law is like funding what isn't yet built. So funding a company to, f- to then go f- start that company, that's touching securities. Uh, if you want to fundraise from your friends and family, that's still securities. You need to be an accredited investor. There's no friends and families exception, even though people think there is. Um, and so, but the whole point behind that is the, the ethos of the securities law is to say, you can't fund something based on the promise that it'll be there. So now is an NFT a security? That that's in some scenarios it could be. It could easily be. Anything could be a security if it's not handled right or if it's marketed wrong. Doesn't that go on to the Ripple lawsuit? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm not updated on the newest parts of yeah. the Ripple, but all of it comes down to securities law, and that securities law comes down to the Howey test, which is the test for what is or isn't a, a an investment contract, is what they call it under that definition. And the Howey test is uh, a four-prong test of there's an investment of money um, into this shared pool with the expectation of profits through the efforts of others. So if you can knock off one of those prongs, then you're likely not a security. There's a lot of approaches to knocking off those prongs, and this is what we're kind of dealing with. They dealt with a little bit in the XRP case. They're dealing, Coinbase is like leading the charge, and we're all, like love or hate Coinbase, we all have to actively root for them (laughs) because the way they're approaching the SEC is very important, and they need to... They are kind of our our first line of defense here. Like they're going to set precedent that really, really matters. So love or hate centralized exchanges, Coinbase, you need to be rooting for them if you're in this space because what they're doing is very heavy lifting and they're doing it for all of us. So rooting for Coinbase always (laughs) against the SEC, but making those arguments, like they're essentially making very creative and nuanced arguments against whether or not any of these tokens are securities based on the Howey test analysis. Um, for the Howey test, <coughs> you need to hit all of them? If you knock off one of them, then you're not a security. Not a security. But even, they're not as simple as you think. Like, even the investment of money, mm-hmm. if you airdrop something, for example, you could still be considered priming the markets. So if I give everybody something for free, in the expectation that it might eventually be worth More. something, I might be considered priming the markets, and there's case law on that. Mm-hmm. So even even something as simple as an investment of money and whether something is or isn't an investment of money can be that complicated. So then imagine that level of nuance on each of those elements. And now you you get to why you know attorneys get paid a lot of money. We just love to parse words. I was about to say, I make payment words. <laughs> yeah, you have to love to really parse words and make these highly technical and nuanced arguments against or for something. I see. Uh, You said that was, uh, you brought up Ripple's case? Yeah. And that Coinbase is like... Coinbase has, they received a Wells notice. And so the Wells notice is like, hey, you're you're operating an exchange. Mm -hmm. And and the argument is they're not operating an illegal exchange because the tokens are on on that exchange are not securities Mm -hmm. so they have to argue that every token is not a security security, and we're super rooting for coinbase (laughs) yeah because they have a lot of tokens listed and 
uh, whether or not, if, if any one of those tokens is a security, they could be in very big trouble mm -hmm. and it could really impact the entire industry. But the U.S. has taken such a hostile approach. I mean, there's the crypto choke point two point, uh, chokehold 2.0 policy, mm -hmm. uh, which is why you see the banks go down. So if you can't tackle it because you have a lame duck uh, Congress, right? No one's going to pass laws. The best way to effectuate government is to pass a law because laws are created where you have experts in the industry advising policymakers on creating the richest laws and that's where you get good laws that's the rulemaking process that's at your local level all the way to your federal level there's a rulemaking process what happens is uh we get into a very politically hostile era and nothing really gets passed and you can't help or hurt something any industry so crypto it's hard to have a path forward in, in Congress because there's just nothing being done in Congress. So your next step is to adjudicate. So the SEC is taking it to court. That's your judiciary branch of creating law. But that's a really bad way to create law because you have cases going to state courts, federal courts across the country. And judges aren't that savvy because they don't have a staff of you know, experts they can call on, that policymakers do, that can whisper in their ears and, and explain how the tech works. So it makes, like when judges make law, it's usually not the best because judges aren't, they're, they're good at navigating the law, and but they're not good at navigating technical nuance, which is what rulemaking really is. And that's where we're at now. We're, we're leaning on these judges and you get some really interesting case law where you have a court in California that ruled um, DAOs. If I if I want to be a member of a DAO, but I want to limit my exposure because DAOs are considered by default general partnerships, yeah. so that exposes everybody really, and the and the DAO itself, that the Treasury is really exposed. So you had some creative people say, "Well, great, I'll form an LLC, and that LLC will be a member of a DAO." And so you would think, okay, that limits my exposure a little bit. Nope, the court pierced the corporate veil right to those individuals and made them made that LLC um, limited liability structure completely irrelevant because they pierced that corporate veil to the individual and said, this is a like a sham corporation. This is really just you and you're exposed here. And that's the California court. And then you had uh, a New Hampshire court uh, land on the wrong side of the Howey test because they gave a lot of weight to the founders keeping too many tokens. So a lot of the arguments for whether or not something is a security is those tokens are to be used to operate your network, right? Like Ethereum needs gas to operate itself. So it's hard to argue that Ethereum is truly a security when it's clearly being operated to navigate this network. So you see a lot of companies kind of approach that same framework for their token. If the founders keep a certain percent of that token, the court looked at that and said, that's too many tokens. Because even though the founders kept less than 10%, because the entirety of the token was like 1 billion, the court was like, there's no way you as individuals can use that many tokens in your lifetime. So it's arguably, you're keeping that many for arguably another purpose. And that other purpose is this expectation of profits. And that held in this like New Hampshire court. So these kinds of nuances can get really tricky and and you're having it done like New Hampshire's doing it, you know, California's doing it, and it's these judges and like how much weight does uh, an Alabama court give that New Hampshire court just because that judge has handled that case before? There's no, you know, it's not the same court, so there's no requirement, but they're probably going to lean on some of that language. If I'm a judge and I, I don't know this issue, it's a new issue to me, I'm going to look to other case law. And case law in other jurisdictions isn't binding, but it's definitely persuasive. And it could lead to some really bad or interesting <laughs> or unexpected laws that get created by precedent. Of, of a judge. Yeah. Gets tricky. Politicians <clears throat> need to be more involved in the Yeah. In the they should just process. Honestly, I one of the most like respected crypto lawyers I know presents the way he discusses 
crypto is it's a national security issue and the US needs to get on board Absolutely. because yeah. it just it matters and the US not getting on board is really putting us at an exposed area and it's just not going to help anybody so it needs to get less cold Let's choke holdy and get more embracing of this new tech Absolutely. before we lose. Yeah, if, if the United States government doesn't choose to embrace crypto or like at least actually follow through and like do some research and like make some type of action, we're we're gonna fall behind. Absolutely, like and you'll see other other countries. I mean, look at I mean, El Salvador is really controversial, right? But the reality is, is what did they have to lose? No, they had nothing. <laughs> they had nothing, <laughs> nothing to lose. So it's like, like they're doing something at least interesting or they're trying to do something this is where you have two mentalities in life like always do always play it safe and don't mess up mm -hmm. or like like me i would rather have a shelf full of shitty trinkets mm -hmm. than like just one golden trophy or nothing you know i would rather at least just be like yeah i tried a bunch see, of stuff and works. that's i think what crypto lends itself to because the space is so hands-on in unless you have that bad actor syndrome of like being a rug puller or just trying to get money and get out quickly having a hands-on like let's learn along the way yeah. fix our mistakes edit go after it again like this this arena is a really healthy way to grow a tech um an ethos a community like you can grow any of that in this kind of arena if everyone really has that mentality and absolutely most people seem to have that mentality in this space it's so new that like whenever something comes up you could just Go ahead and try it see what's going what works what doesn't work uh, and if it doesn't work just move on there's a new project that's, that's yeah going on. even even projects that have had to pivot i mean if you talk to any any company that's been a startup to where it is today that's still alive you pivoted like your product has pivoted you did some you did some research you looked into that product market fit and you pivoted at some point that's web three as a whole is going to start pivoting into like what's the real application mm -hmm. here but it, as an ethos because it's so community driven which is like where DAOs come from it's like everyone's got their hand in the pot and everyone's trying to effectuate their little area so the pivot looks a little slower or it looks a little different but we're all pivoting into like let's get something going get traction going and build would you say that there's like an overarching theme within the entire crypto community that there are because like oh, there's a bunch of different DAOs working on different things, um, but everyone's like pivoting, uh, yeah, something different. What is like the ultimate goal with this technology, or like the purpose? Like, I would say what I'm seeing is like it's community driven. So I think what we're seeing that we didn't see in traditional capitalism in the states is that. It's about community drive. So if we as a community want to move, we can all move. It may take us a minute, but we'll be more effective than like the governments because everything's a little bloated. This community strives to be as a whole just a little bit faster, a little bit sleeker and a little bit more savvy than the idea of what we're seeing now. But it still has a lot of the same principles of Absolutely. like democracy and like Republic where you kind of cast your votes like staking is like I'm casting my vote to that node to operate or Some some protocols allow you to like cast your vote so that that node votes for you. That's mm -hmm. that's a republic yeah. <laughs> You know, Delegation. that's like that's you truly delegating that mm -hmm. so this is using what we already have but applying this new tech and allowing community ownership of it so where it's not like beyond you you know you can still veto something you can still back out you can still take your whatever you put in out ideally so it's this ownership uh, partnered with this more savvy efficient group think network to move things forward yeah um i think a lot of like self-sovereignty is in play yeah people really love their independence mm -hmm. trying to have control of their assets uh, or their or like some have some type of like role like role to play in the community, um, like I'm sure this is gonna be a, a, a type of project that comes out soon, but uh, decentralized uh, HOAs or like on yeah, I think I think the biggest thing for DAOs isn't gonna be the next corporation. Like you see a lot of DAOs and they're like I want to form and then they don't really have a plan, but they kind of just look like a company. And I'm like, well, you should just be a company. Mm -hmm. What's the value of being a DAO here? Things that could be a DAO that are kind of exciting are like HOAs where 
it, it isn't an organization like a company. Yeah. You need to operate in this community way. There is a shared wallet. Voting really matters for how to move money out of that mm-hmm. shared wallet. A DAO might be a great solution for that. Another one is um, collective bargaining. What didn't work about um, unions was their like lack of transparency, corruption, the money laundering. What uh, solves that is a lot a of d- DAO <laughs> It's very transparent. It's hard to you know maneuver money without permission of the group, and there's less corruption ideally in a in a DAO that's like solved these things. So. There's solutions out there for these problems that we lost along the way. The problem is, is like unions as a whole don't have a stronghold in even in policy. Like states are very you can't even form a union in some states now. So it's a little unfortunate because like DAOs could solve for things that are not working about where we're at in America as a whole. Yeah, DAOs are going to be fun to like see what comes up comes of them well i will plug so upstream did just yes, launch plugged. they're my first dow and so i'll plug them because i love what upstream's doing i think alex taub is excellent in the space he's got a lot of integrity and he kind of just launches things in really interesting ways because he doesn't ever launch something being like this is going to be a millionaire I'm, I'm doing this to make be, make millions he kind of launches stuff to be like let's see what happens like let this community take over and create value in itself and whenever, if you ever can hear him speak on DAOs, he's got such a great mind for where he sees them going and the power of them. So he just launched with Monica and some team members the My First DAO. And it's like a hands-on DAO token where there's programming to let you learn and operate and see what it takes to run a DAO. And it's uh, got a time frame to it. And it's minting now. I think it's like myfirstdao.xyz. And I'm excited to see and be a part of it um, because I just think what they're doing is interesting and the people that are likely to be involved will make it even more interesting and maybe something cool will come out of it. But I guarantee you, even though I'm deep in the space and I help DAOs, I'm going to learn something too. So it'll be an exciting experiment. Yeah, that's what I like about uh, the space. When when you get involved and start messing around with like the tech and like the actual applications, you start to learn something even though... You think you might know like pretty much like the general gist of the whole like project, but getting involved and like seeing like the proposals that someone uh, puts uh, up for vote, and you're like, oh wow, I I didn't think of that. Yeah. And and then the community agrees, like, oh wow, this is actually a really good idea. We should pursue it, and like the community wallet decides to like fund the project and see what happens with that stuff. I think an effective DAO is the nouns DAO. They tend nouns. to fund a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's cool. You, anyone can propose anything. They're like, very kind like of savvy the, about what they choose and don't I choose. I like the way that they uh, fund their treasury. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, they mint a new NFT every day and then uh, it goes up for auction. Yeah. And it's a it's just a clever community of, of mm-hmm. um, DAO, DAO members working towards solving for DAO things. It's, it's really interesting. Downs DAO is a great example of that. But unfortunately, they're so expensive. <laughs> oh. No one can be like a filthy casual in Downs. Oh, really? It's like they're, yeah, because the auction just goes so high. But there's like collectives that will like group together and buy a noun. Yeah. But then now you're like your own little mini yeah. DAO yeah, of a noun my, owner of the Downs <laughs> DAO. I'm like, that's fractionalized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gets, it gets really hairy there, but it's interesting. Um, legally, how how would that work? Because like there there are people setting up like little yeah. groups and communities. Well, fractionalizing anything adds complications legally sure. because now you've fractionalized let arguably an asset. An of some sort. Yeah, so that gets very tricky. Um, but uh, by default, you know, if you guys if you're just a group of people that form a group to buy something, now you're a general partnership, and there's real exposure there because. In a general partnership, like if I go through bankruptcy personally, mm-hmm. that bankruptcy action could make liens on the things I own. If I can't pay all that off, part of that wallet that's shared among this group is available to that lien holder because I, this is a general partnership and they can dip their hands into that wallet, not just for my portion, but for the whole wallet because everyone is generally and severally liable for the whole the whole not just their portion yeah. so even doing the taxes for that is kind of a nightmare yeah. especially if you have international members mm-hmm. that's why if you form like governments care about money mm-hmm. they just they do every yeah. jurisdiction cares about money so they the moment yeah 
They just want to, even if they don't get their piece, they want to know where that money is going. Government will always care about money. So if it's not theirs to own or theirs to interact with, it's theirs to monitor because they just care. So no matter what jurisdiction you're in, they're going to care about it. And this is why corporations form or entities form is so that you can kind of capture what's separate from you and let the government know, hey, this exists and it's separate from me, but it's just this thing. And that's really all you're saying when you form any sort of legal wrapper is like, this is for this purpose, not me individually. All of this is for this purpose. And this purpose is separate and aside from me. And anything that happens in this space is just part of that and limited to that. And then you have your own self, which is just you. And you've got to keep a distinct line because you can pierce a corporate veil if you act as one with that entity. It's harder to act as one with that entity if there's multiple members. But if you're in a single member LLC or or C-Corp, you know, you've got to be very clear about those lines. Yeah, it was fun. It gets tricky. Right? <laughs> They're taking the fun out of crypto. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I try to make the, the legal talks more fun, but or at least just not scare people. I want people to be thoughtful and not terrified. Yeah. Everyone now with the doubt, like, so what are we? What do we do? Yeah. What do we do? And I think you're seeing people solve for that. The Marshall Islands has a really unique approach to it where it's probably the closest solve for what should in ethos be DAO. But the problem is, is like when you get a DAO of a certain number of members, it, it's a, an economies of scale issue. Someone has to be mind and management. And that's what the government cares about. Like who's on the hook for when this group of people messes up? That's mind and management. That's your board of directors in a C-Corp. That's your members in an LLC. Like that's what you're identifying. And so in a DAO, if it's like six people, you can form an LLC and then everyone's a board member or everyone's just a single member, whatever, and you're kind of all the same. Once you get scaled and you're a large DAO, that DAO, not everyone is the same. I got to tell you. Yeah. Like member 695, not the same person or active member as number 14. You know, like you're just operating differently. Someone, you can't have, like when you're on a Zoom call with, with 10 people, it's an ineffective meeting. Yeah, if you have work. 695 people. It won't work. It's not working. There's mind and management. So there's always going to be a core group that's like operating, maneuvering and, and doing things. And d- DAO or not, there's no that's no different. So you might as well just form something to protect that m- inner mind or inner inner management. But what if, so you said like 600 members, if it's decentralized though, if they're all spread out, how do you keep track? Because that makes me think of ETH. Yeah. How do you go after ETH? Yeah, exactly. Well, so then they formed the ETH Foundation, which is like not here, but it's still that foundation is an entity. You can look them up. And and if you need to sue ETH, there's an entity somewhere for the foundation. And that's what that's who you interact with. And that's who you go for. That's who that's how they put themselves out there. So there's even still with ETH, there's some sort of core team somewhere Mm -hmm. because they're a foundation that exists under some jurisdiction. I'm not saying you have to be in the U.S., but every single place on this planet there's a jurisdiction because there's no more you know there's no more land land (laughs) like there's there's no like let's set to sea and discover new land like it's pretty much resolved that all the land that exists is covered by somebody somewhere and that somebody is going to care deeply about people engaging in business in their jurisdiction Mm -hmm. so there's friendlier jurisdictions like the cayman bvi bahamas well bahamas might change (laughs) Maybe I changed. They just like issued new new rules this year because what happens is with these offshore entities, it's a race to the bottom. So whatever island you are, you're like, oh, I need to raise money. What's the new tech? So then you become super new tech friendly. Yeah. Create some reg- regulations that screams, please come here, build yeah. here. Then they create their foundation here. Enough money comes in, and then they start to tighten their regulations. And that's what you saw in BVI. But again, it's not impossible. It's just like there's a little more hoops to jump through now, right? Same thing, different day. Cayman was the same way. Then it went to BVI. Bahamas will be there. Like I'm sure Bermuda will be there. Marshall Islands is doing interesting stuff with DAOs. There's there's jurisdictions across the globe. Like some some people form in Singapore. Some people form in Switzerland. If you can afford it, Switzerland's great right now. Like Zug Switzerland is like. A little mini Silicon Valley for crypto <laughs> in Europe, and it's awesome because they've 
taking the time to be thoughtful. People like operating there. It's the community's building. I'd love to visit Zuck <laughs> and see what else it has to offer. But it's also really expensive to to exist in Switzerland yeah. and, and form in Switzerland and navigate Swiss law. So it comes at a price that's a little more pricier than, you know, your average like Cayman or U.S. operation. And they still want to come into the U.S. anyways. Yeah. Because we, well, mo- we have the jurisdictional comfort. So it's like when you do the whole point of offshoring is to kind of block some aspects of yeah. the U.S. So if you take something offshore, you launch that token offshore, um, you've got to you can't then just be like, all right, now I can have anyone. You do have to KYC, which is know your customer. Yeah especially when you're doing that initial raise. Once you get past a certain threshold and enter the US markets, like the moment you get listed on Coinbase, now you've got comfort no matter where you're you're at. But those initial steps, there's some things navigating the SEC that you can't remediate for, which means like a lot of things in law you can make up for later. It's like, oh, we tried, especially with taxes. It's like I filed as a C-Corp. I screwed up. I didn't hit my deadline to like make the S-Corp election. I just I fill out little form 5323 and say, my bad, IRS, like, let me let me do this. I reassess my business model. I totally want to be an S-Corp now. (laughs) And the IRS is like kind of has to let you do that as long as you did it in good faith. They can't really say no. So they'll let you do that remediation. There's things in the SEC where it's like if you raised money for your not built yet company there, it's hard to unring that bell. It's just harder to. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sometimes Crypto. I know this is kind of unexpected, but unfortunately, we did have a little bit of technical issues where I lost the last 15 minutes of this audio for this episode. And well, more importantly, we lost the information where Elsie pretty much talks about where to find her, what she does, and the group of people that she works with, a group of lawyers that she works with, uh, IBL, International Blockchain Legal. It's a first-of-its-kind distributed law firm for technologists, innovators, and high-level industry participants. You can find LC on Instagram and Twitter, at Learned Chaos. And you can also contact her at her work email, which is laura at iblpartners.com. Thank you guys again for tuning into this week's episode of Sometimes Crypto. The this part was scripted, but the rest of it, the unscripted crypto podcast. You know, thank you.